0: Welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is podcast number 39. Today, we have special guest, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. We're going to dive deep into the work around her book, A Younger You. Who is Dr. Fitzgerald? Well, she received her Doctor of Naturopathic Medicine degree from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. She completed a postdoctoral position in nutritional biochemistry and laboratory science under the direction of Dr. Richard Lord. She has been an accomplished and sought-after teacher at the Institute for Functional Medicine. She's a lead author and editor of a case series in integrative and functional medicine, a contributing author to Laboratory Evaluations for Integrative and Functional Medicine, and the Institute for Functional Medicine's textbook for functional medicine. With the Health Got Research Institute Dr. Fitzgerald has now actively engaged in clinical research on the DNA methylome using a diet and lifestyle intervention developed in her practice. Her first publication from this study focuses on the reversal of biological aging and was published in April of 2021 in the journal Aging. She has published a book entitled Younger You as well as a companion cookbook Better Broths and Healing tonics, and offers Younger You programs based on the study for clients who are interested in trying to help their biological age reverse and or just live a healthier lifestyle. On top of all of that, she maintains a podcast series called The New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, as well as an active blog on her website, www.drcarafitzgerald.com. She does also have a clinical practice, on top of all the rest of that stuff, in Sandy Hook, Connecticut in this podcast we're going to talk about things like the horvath clock cpg islands algorithmic epigenetic clocks age reversal we look at how the difference is between chronological age and biological age lifespan versus health span, and really just we're going to take a deep dive into the reason behind the study the reason behind the book younger you and what we can all glean from this As to the relationship between DNA methylation, otherwise known as the software inputs into the computer that allows the computer to do what it's supposed to do. And by that, I mean the computer of the human body and how the software inputs being anything environmental, which could be food, stress, exercise, toxin exposure, anything you can imagine, can be a software input into the human frame that then leads to a differential outcome that we see of as who we are. It used to be thought of as you are an amalgam of mom and dad's genes, 50, 50% of each, and that was it. That's what I was taught in medical school. Well, Dr. Fitzgerald's work will show you based on the research of gentlemen like Dr. Randy Jertle from episode number two, if you want to go back and listen to that, the defining moments in human history where we learned how this stuff worked, or Dr. Moshe Schiff, all of that information has been translated and collated by Dr. Fitzgerald into a book and a sort of a protocolized way of living that can help us be healthier from a biological standpoint. Chronologic age, you cannot stop. You will continue to age day by day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. But your biological age is very different. You can be younger, you, based on what you do. At this point, let's define a few terms. What is epigenetics? From Dr. Horvath's website, mydnaage.com, we see a good definition. Epigenetic modifications refer to heritable changes in the genome that occur independently of changes to the primary DNA sequence. Epigenetic mechanisms play a crucial role in regulating biological processes as diverse as development, learning, metabolism, and in the progression of diseases such as cancer. Why is this important? Our genetics, lifestyle, the food we eat, and the environment we live in affect these modifications and therefore affects how our genes behave. Each of these can also have important implications for your biological age. What is an epigenetic aging clock? Or what is Dr. Horvath's clock? Well, DNA methylation, which Dr. Fitzgerald will get into in detail, the most is the most abundant and best studied way to modify the genome. I.e., again, we're not changing the code at all. We are only changing how the code is read, i.e., silenced or unsilenced. And DNA methylation is now recognized as a reliable indicator of biological age based on this. Dr. Horvath's biological aging clock is the gold standard right now of biological age tests and was built using data generated from thousands of samples. His analytical method has been cited in over 600 peer-reviewed scientific publications and was developed using 353 cytosine guanine sites, otherwise known as DNA methylation sites, which Dr. Fitzgerald will call our lollipop sites. Why this is so important again is because Dr. Fitzgerald is using this information, which is validated as a tool or a biomarker to help us understand what lifestyle decisions like nutrition, microbiome adjustment, exercise, potentially disease exposure, chemical exposure, your health of your mental state, all these things, how they can affect us downstream. This all eventually leads to the understanding that your biological age can change, which means your lifespan, which is chronologically how long you live, will hopefully match up better with your health span, i.e. you will live Healthier along that entire continuum. So, with that, I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Well, hello, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. And I know you are reposing yourself out there in the Western side of the country. So, welcome.
1: <laughs> it's great to be with you, Chris. It's nice to uh, reconnect.
0: Yeah, it is, and I'm really grateful to talk about your work today. It's going to be super exciting, the younger you, the way to reduce your bio age and live longer and better. So before we get into your book, I want to start with a quote that's written in on page 75. In 2013, Stephen Horvath, a professor of human genetics and biostatistics at UCLA, published findings that he could determine biological age by analyzing the DNA methylation on hundreds of sites on the genome with only a cheek swab or a drop of blood. Extraordinarily, the results of that test had a correlation of 0.96 with chronologic age. Even more impressive, much of that missing 0.04 is not a mistake. It's the difference between your calendar age and your biological age. He essentially discovered an epigenetic clock. One that has become the gold standard of determining physiological age, which he entitled the DNA methylation age clock, otherwise called the DNA M age clock, and which is now colloquially known as the Horvath clock. So that quote sort of sets the stage for why... You are able to do what you did in your book, The Younger You, to go out and produce a semi-protocolized understanding of what we can, as humans, choose to do lifestyle-wise, to try and reverse the processes of aging, right? And so I know that's a Mm -hmm. very charged word, reversing aging, right? Right. Because we are going to chronological age no matter what we do, but you're not speaking to chronological age. You're speaking to... Our biological age, or how old our cells function as, so in this process, I'm going to turn you loose, and you're going to go in lots of different directions. But I want you to define epigenetics, so the 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 listeners can really understand what this thing is with methylation and DNA methylation. Sure. And then let's get into Ship's work, Jurdle's work, how this even came to be capable of understanding.
1: Yeah, and I want to also make sure that, I want to give you a little bit of my backstory, if it's okay, if you can kind yeah, of like on how we how we even entered into the epigenetics conversation through uh, the functional lens. I think it, it's I, it's it's important. It's important, and for me, it's such a big aha. So let me first define epigenetics, and then I'll go into my backstory. And Chris, you've got carte blanche to inter interrupt me whenever you want. Like I'm completely okay. comfortable with that. If I go to, too far into the rabbit hole. Um, So epigenetics is just as the, you know, as it sounds, epi above genetics, our genetic material, our DNA. Um, And so it's what, it's the biochemical um, activity that's regulating what genes are on and what genes are off. Why a heart cell is a heart cell and stays a heart. So, you know, our same DNA is throughout every DNA containing cell in the body, Yet, you know, it's expressed very differently. the 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 genes that are allowed to be on in a liver cell are very different than, you know, what's in my my hair. Um, and that is epigenetics right there, regulating re- regulating DNA, regulating gene expression. Um, but there's a lot of this. and and let me say there's a continuum of reliably reproducible that that DNA is. So like your liver cell will never become, a cardiomyocyte like those are that that's always going to be intact that genetic control that gene expression control however there's swaths of our dna where we our environment how we live our choices day to day what we eat if we move our bodies etc and as you and i will probably talk about you know what we can inherit from our from our parents and you know even in, in generations prior to that can influence the the areas the swaths of dna um really profoundly and it's in this region that can dictate um, how well we live and 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 it's here you know that that horvath i think is really tucked into uh be able to measure our rate of aging does that make sense yeah it does, does. and i th-
0: yeah and i think i heard randy Jurdle say it once your your dna is sort of the hardware Yep, and everything else is the software, and so yes. the software could be put in generationally, or it can be put in real time for you, and then mm-hmm. that dictates, to your point, the gene expression, which then is our phenotype or who we are. Yes, so right. So w- tell your backstory, and then let's flip over into his work and how he proved that you know what I learned in med school: junk DNA, <laughs> as anything in the body is junk, is not junk DNA.
1: I know it should be a word of you know, just, just a pause whenever somebody, you know, whenever we arrogantly term something junk or, you know, you know, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, it should, should be reason for pause right there. Um, right. So why did we even get into it? I want to say that it was about in 2013, maybe around the time Beth was actually publishing his clock that I started to pay attention to what was happening in the world of epigenetics. We mapped the human genome out in, um, around 2002, 2003, actually, when Jertl published his extraordinarily seminal first paper that we'll talk about in a minute in the beauty mice. so they, we mapped the human genome out. And, and at that time, you know, of course, you know, because it was in your training and it was in mine, it w- we thought that we were, it was the Rosetta, it would be the Rosetta Stone of disease, right? That one, you know, a gene or a, you know, a handful of genes would really define whether we were going to get a disease or not. We would be able to understand diabetes and cardiovascular disease and cancer and dementia, et cetera, all types of dementia by, you know, the, our genetic mutations, uh, if you will. And when we mapped out the genome, we saw that that was in fact entirely untrue and that it was infinitely more uh, complex than that our genome did not tell us what our fate was. And uh, we only had 23,000 genes, by the way, which is significantly less than a grape. And mind blowing, considering
0: Yeah, <laughs> my point is saying that Drosophila fly has 21,000. That's yeah, just that's, like, whoa, hello. Well, and,
1: and, and most plants have way, way more, like grapes have a lot more. Um, uh, um, anyway, so, so our genome is really pretty simple and it doesn't really have anything to do, almost nothing to do with our health span and lifespan. Um, uh, and so then we turned our attention to the epigenome, which is wildly complex and there's a lot going on. And this is, you know, the real time influence of what genes are on and what genes are off. And as, you know, as we just got through seeing, we sit in the driver's seat regulating our fate way, way more than we thought we did. And, you know, I was pretty tucked into my functional medicine world. I, you know, I teach at IFM and I, you know, I have a great, a great practice. I just, I was kind of just, I have a great educational teaching, you know, I have a teaching clinic and, you know, happy, but, but these, you know, more and more, I was seeing papers come in to my box on, um, you know, on epigenetics. And it was primarily epigenetics and cancer. And I have to say, even though I have a background in biochemistry, I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know if I wanna tussle with this new information, but I, I knew that I had to, and I don't know actually either Chris, like was there a part of me that knew when I dove into these papers that it was gonna be entirely career defining and changing for me. And maybe that's right. why I was a little resistant at first, but I finally tucked into the literature on epigenetics. And at that time, the vast majority of it was out in cancer. So the, can- so the tumor microenvironment very, very efficiently takes over gene expression from us the tumor microenvironment will turn genes on it wants on for its survival, you know, and its procreation. And it will turn off genes that protect us from cancer. Like it's so nefarious seeming. Right. And when I started to read that, and one of, the, one of the chief ways that we turn genes on and off is something called DNA methylation and demethylation. And this is a methyl group is a carbon and three hydrogens. We remember that from, you know, from chemistry in high school. And when you put a carbon and three hydrogens onto the cytosine of, um, you know, a DNA base when it's next to guanine, if you have enough of those, think of them as red lollipops. They're denoted in the literature as red lollipops. And if you, if there's a collection of red lollipops dotting the cytosines on a region of, on the promoter region of a DNA, of, of a gene, that gene is going to be inhibited. Those lollipops block transcription from being able to happen. Um, and so methylation can effectively turn a gene off. And then you can demethylate through a, through, through a, a handful of different mechanisms and remove them or inhibit them from being laid down. And when there when, when, when there's an absence of methylation, then that gene may be turned on. So anyway, cancer gets in there and works its, you know, does its thing and, and, and just messes with our genome, uh, pretty potently. And in so doing it thrives. And my question fundamentally, Chris, at that time was, is functional medicine doing right by our patients? I mean, that was really, and it really became an obsession for me and and Romilly Hodges, our, our nutrition director at the time. Um, I mean, for me, I was like, I I could, could some of our interventions be pushing methylation? We know in functional medicine the methylation cycle better than any other you know medical profession. We actually have a keen biochemical understanding, and one of right. our areas of focus has been the methylation cycle has been um, Producing that carbon and three hydrogen, you make it in the methylation cycle, yeah. and you make it using folate and B12 and choline and betaine and a handful of minerals and, and other B vitamins. Um, and we focus on that, and we pay attention to when we think it's imbalanced, and we have a bunch of sort of surrogate markers or ideas around whether or not we're 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 doing we're you know we're we're making it optimal. In some conditions, I think. It is probably not a good idea for us to be pushing methylation too hard in our patients, because we will in fact be influencing DNA methylation. There's just no doubt about it. The literature is pretty clear there. And so my question was, initially, what if I have a patient who's got some sort of a precancerous process happening? Let's say, you know, an early colorectal cancer that hasn't been identified yet. Am I going to be harming them? That's always our first question. You know, first do you no know, right. harm. And um, and so having that i said to i said to myself and I, I was dialoguing with Romilly, maybe we maybe we should create a program where we're supporting methylation but we're doing it through diet so that was our first question the se- so the and and then there there were a handful of other things as 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 we just broadened our our, our examination of the literature a handful of other things came into play the other thing that was just this massive aha was realizing that polyphenols, you know, these compounds that we try to ingest all the time, eat them in our meals, we prescribe them to our patients in supplements. These are well-known nutrients like uh, turmeric, curcumin and turmeric, or sulforaphane in brassica veggies, or... Um, uh, resveratrol in 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 grapes, or quercetin in uh, in onions and capers and so forth. All of these these beautiful polyphenols that every functional clinician is well versed in and prescribing all of the time, it turns out that these guys seem to have what we what we think is a role in helping that red lollipop go where it should be, helping that methylation group you know land on the DNA, the the gene it's supposed to land on. They really seem to have this this regulatory effect. So they don't, make, they don't make methylation happen, but they direct methylation traffic. And as we get into the findings of our study, I think there's a suggestion that um, that happens. So on one hand, we wanted to make the diet very he- healthy, he- heavily loaded in the ability to make the red lollipops and to, and to create methylation. Um, There's nowhere, by the way, in the literature that there's anything negative in loading up on leafy greens, loading up on lots of methyl donors through leafy greens or mushrooms or beets or eggs, etc. So that we knew a food forward methylation approach was smart. And then we packed on all of what we call these methylation adaptogens. Actually, my friend, um, Michael Stone, who you know, um, an IFM faculty also coined that term when I was talking to him about it. So so the diet is full of things to sweet talk methylation and then when we zoomed out a little bit further, we saw that lifestyle factors you know influence again where DNA methylation is happening and we can talk about specifics, but we learned that you know sleep, exercise um, our, our response to stress. so meditation or our lack of response to stress have these profound either favorable or negative influences on DNA methylation. So those were all of the things that we created, this, 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 this diet and lifestyle program. And originally it was, a you know, there was an eye, a big eye towards, towards just supporting our patients, towards cancer, towards people who don't tolerate B vitamins, et cetera, um, towards kids on the spectrum. I mean, for, towards, I guess when you get into the literature, you know, the We started in cancer, but then you begin to see that what they call in science, aberrant methylation, imbalanced methylation underpins every condition out there. And so we began to see that this collection of information that we were prescribing in this diet and lifestyle program was really essential for, for, for everyone. And then the next, let me pause there or I can keep going.
0: So let's, let's let's go from there Let, let's instead of going down that track right now let's actually describe for the listeners what was really happening to the phenotypes. let's do randy Jurdle's work and then let's double yeah. back to let's double yep. back to what your work is specifically looking yes. at because i think yes. you can hit on multiple pathways from here but his work is so seminal yes. understanding
1: yes. how
0: these foods are directly yes. changing outcome
1: yes 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 let's talk about it okay so his seminal 2003 study so we, had, we were mapping the genome. It's such amazing timing. The genome is mapped. We think we've got the red Rosetta Stone for all disease, right? And then we realized right. we don't. And, and this little whimper of a paper came out. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't noticed when it came out in 2003. They submitted, I think, to 16 different journals. They were right. just re- rejected every which way. It was kind of extraordinary. And then they finally published in a, you know, a pretty low-tier journal. Um, so what they did, just so brilliant. Um, Jertl and his postdoc, Waterland, they knew that, so the agouti mouse is a very distinct mouse. It's obese and it's blonde. You can spot an agouti mouse a mouse a, a mile away. It's very, very, it's phenotype is just clear, clear, clear. And the reason that it looks like that is because the agouti gene is on. And it's the, so when the agouti gene is on, the phenotype is blonde, obese. They end up with like little heart disease and all sorts of mouse ailments because this agouti gene is, Hypomethylated, there's an absence of red lollipops and it's screaming on. And so their question was um, what will happen if we supply um, methyl donors? So if we f- uh, supply the ingredients to make the red lollipops to the pregnant dams, what will happen to their offspring? So they gave them B12 and folate, choline, um, or B12 folate. And betaine, maybe betaine, maybe choline mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Yep. And um, so they gave, so they gave the pregnant dams those nutrients, and they wanted to see what the offspring looked like. And in fact, extraordinarily, the offspring had um, the the agouti gene was hypermethylated and inhibited. So the offspring were these little skinny wild type brown mice. You know, the kind you see running around your house if you're so lucky. Um, I want to say that a couple things about it so so it was actually i let me just say and i'll talk about how extraordinary it was but it, there was a continuum so the the you know maybe there'd be a little spotting of blonde or like a mottled bit you know and then some were completely you know the gene was completely inhibited people took up this work and other labs did and i want to say that they were able to trace the effects so generation 0 pregnant dams given the methyl donors for a full five generations out I mean, right. a big deal. So, Randy didn't do it in his lab, but other labs picked it up, which is massive. So, these right. nutrients given in generation zero influenced all the way out to generation five.
0: Right. That
1: is the power of nutrients on phenotype. I mean, that's right. just no joke. It's extraordinary. Uh,
0: quite a- Quite incredible. And then I think his yeah. second postdoctoral fellow did another study that was so incredible, Dana Dolanoy, when yeah. she then took the same study and added hypomethylators as BPA, the chemical yes, toxin, yes, and were right. able to reverse the process. So this was the first time that she not only yeah. were we capable of affecting outcome positively, we're actually capable of affecting the outcome negatively. So we yep. are now staring down the, the train line of, okay, you can go left or you can go right. And that is dictated by these red lollipops. Now let's try and figure out. And when I talked to Randy, his point was, okay, we set the framework for the mechanism. Now everybody needs to study what causes the red lollipops to hop on and hop off. And that's what everybody else has been doing. And to your point, that's exactly what you've been doing, right? You're looking at what are these interventions, functional medicine wise doing to the lollipops and then do those lollipops then show, via horvath's clock that you've decreased your age does that sound right
1: yeah that's exactly right and there's more than that though we didn't we definitely investigated red lollipops beyond the 353 in 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 horvath's clock but yeah that's exactly right and i think the important piece for us uh, and and you know different from randy's work is he's looking in you know embryogenesis and he's looking at a different time when DNA methylation and demethylation is so insanely aggressively active and influencing, right. you know, well, generations, as we just said, we're looking right. in the adult phenotype um, and showing that we're able to make changes. So that's, I think it's just, it's exciting and it's very, right. very empowering, but it's, it should, you know, as, as Jeff Bland said, you know, with this, it's, it, it, there's great responsibility with this you know, with this knowledge now as well. So it's empowering and it's freeing, but there's great responsibility. I mean, we do, you know, we are what we eat. We, it profoundly influences us.
0: And I think your background, learning under Jeff Bland, um, Bruce Ames, everybody else sort of, I, I, I think of it from the perspective of, okay, in functional medicine early on, I came out of integrative medicine with Dr. Weil and then I hopped over with you guys via Jerry Mullen and started learning the biochemistry. And started looking at this more and wondering what are the downstream effects of supplementation, and all these other things. And I think to your point, you're getting to the point now where we're going back in time again almost, where orthomolecular medicine is yeah. food first. And then let's be careful that supplementation, although great in the right targeted approach, could be hypermethylating in a negative way. So yeah, exactly talk about right. that. Talk about that reality that you've uncovered in your work.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what really kind of brought me into this. Could we be pushing methylene? You know, if I dope you up on a load of B vitamins, could I be pushing cancer? You know, I think I don't want to make people anxious about taking B vitamins because a well-prescribed B vitamin is a game, A well-prescribed B12, you know, a B12 injection in somebody who's really deficient is a game right. changer. It's essential. Right. I mean, it's right. the classic U curve, you know, when you need folate, when you need folinic acid, you Certainly, Chris, have cases in your practice where folinic acid was a game changer for an individual's life, yep, quality yep, of life. So yep. it's a classic U curve. We 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 suffer greatly with too little, and probably in some cases we're going to be suffering with too much. You know, I think the evidence, there's more data on insufficient or deficiency than excess. But I think in this era where we're able to look at gene expression, we're getting more granular and we're seeing like, yeah. You know, excess, like journals, you know, journal showed that there's a profound influence. Nutrition, nutrients play a profound influence on genetic expression. And yes, could we be hypermethylating? And classically, it's looking at tumor suppressor genes. These There's many, 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 many genes in the body that play a tumor suppressor role. Detox genes like glutathione transferases and peroxidases and, you know, the classic RACA gene that protects, you know, that's... Um, Protects us from 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 hormone sensitive. It's like like estrogen driven cancers. These genes can actually be negatively inhibited, and in and are associated. So they can be hypermethylated and turned off, and and when they are there, there's a clear association with increased risk for cancer. Um, and so we we want to be mindful about the power of taking you know freestanding supplements i mean we want to be careful around giving our bodies that much information we want to be really clear that it's you know the right amount and the right dose for the right duration um and and being in this era of epigenetics being able to look at gene expression you know i think it's just really underlines that i've had debates with my colleagues um around that you know people agreeing to varying degrees and i just don't want to be fear-mongering at all so i say i know that well prescribed you know B vitamin is 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 essential but we also need to be you know recognize that that you know supplements aren't nothing we're not going to pee them out you know the extra i mean we will some but
0: right and i think being mindful always of why you're choosing to take something is yeah. the key takeaway from what you're saying and but and, on the flip you know
1: s- the, the other piece i want to say that is that the collection of nutrients together i mean this discovery that these polyphenols our traffic directors, as far as gene expression goes, is just so freaking interesting to me. And you know, they showed Yurdal and team showed something very interesting with a king polyphenol, genistein. You know, right. they showed genistein in the in in his early work act, acted like like a methyl donor, which is 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 fascinating. It doesn't that acts differently; it behaves differently in an adult uh, body. So,
0: so that to me brings up the simple analysis of anthropologic history again. So we did not have access to supplements for the vast majority of human health and human existence. We lived in a world where your only access to anything that is beneficial or um, negative to your body's existence is through the environment that you are getting access to it, i.e. food, um, i.e. air, i.e. water. So epigenetically, these abilities to hypomethylate, hypermethylate, regularly methylate would have been dictated by our existence. And I think, again, talk about that from your work, because your work is, to me, more of the anthropologic event, right?
1: I mean, it's, it's a diet and lifestyle program. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's just, it's, it's existing. Right. <laughs> I mean, so, it's, a very, it's a brick by brick built diet. It's not, um, it's not the, it's the Mediterranean diet with a lot more intention and direction. <laughs> you probably
0: right. Said. So for, for me, when I was reading what you're doing, you're, you're essentially saying, I want to look at what the history of humankind would be based on these inputs again, and the inputs are targeted based on science that we've looked at for, you know, 30 plus years in functional medicine. You're saying, okay, can this now show a direct effect on human longevity through understanding, you know, the epigenetics of the Horvath clock? And can you dial it backwards? But you didn't say, let's go throw six different supplements into the mix and see what comes out of it. Right. So I think that to me was the most compelling part of your argument, because to me, that's what human history would have dictated. Now, that's not to say, audience, listen, that if you have a specific genomic reason to need X supplement, Mm -hmm. that that's not reasonable. That is reasonable. That's called Mm -hmm. science. Right. You know, we're taking drugs that were not existed in nature and using them to our benefit. This is not exclusionary. It's more of the flip side saying, hey, Dr. Fitzgerald sat there and said, what? Did history dictate over time? And what does it look like if we do that pathway now? And so, to me, I think that's super, super fascinating it, it, the way you approach this topic.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, we evolved moving our bodies, we evolved sleeping. I mean, it is. I mean, it's very well, you know, I came the lab, I was at, I was in a lab um, working under the direction of nutritional biochemist Richard Lord for the early part of my career for my postdoctorate training. Um, And we released the first DNA, you know, PCR stool analysis, the first clinically available. And I remember thinking, oh, we're going to be able to prescribe, you know, precise probiotics to correct anything, like use, (laughs) you know, just like, like, just we're going to be able to like surgically sort of incise the gut using, you know, pinpoint prescriptions. And I ended up sort, and it's funny as an naturopath, right? That's very ironic. Right. That that's my that that's what I'm excited about. Isn't that funny? Right. Um, right. And I was like, bam! In fact, no. What I'm realizing is the most important thing is to chew your food.
0: Right. <laughs> to right. Eat a
1: whole food diet. Like I was like, oh god! Like all of the stuff that I came away with, you know, from naturopathic school, and yeah, but, I mean, it's all essential. It's in my it's in my epigenome is. Is, was validated with this really sophisticated technology. And I think that's what we're getting at with um, being able to look at gene expression. Now we're having this, you know, being able to look at the epigenome, looking at genetic expression in real time, we're wildly being validated for, you know, the, 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 the essential tools of, of, of how we evolved, moving our bodies, sleeping sufficiently, you know, eating a whole foods, you know, high plant quantity with animal protein as well diet. Um, you know, experiencing stress, but also you know, also managing it. Like, I, I mean, there, our our intervention was you know just really profoundly validating in that regard, and I think that's what you're, what you're getting at.
0: Yeah, exactly. And before we get into the specifics of the 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 study, you know, I know there's a, we're going to talk about 40 40 people in the study, mm-hmm. which is a pilot, but still very mm-hmm. profound outcomes. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about you know, there were some pre-studies that looked at, okay, you know, the overcalix, the Canadian winter study yes. you talked about, the Dutch hunger study. Yes. So we had some some precursor data that said, hey, doing this would lead to this, doing this would lead to that. What, were, what did you gain from that knowledge that allowed you, again, to look at your study and say, this is the direction I want to go?
1: <laughs> I want to say that I don't, I don't, I don't know that I was, I didn't, I think that I circled back to that information after our study. I mean, our study, um, I mean, I think I built, I mean, ours was, was first came because of the cancer, the, the tumor micro and wondering okay. how our interventions were influencing DNA ex- g- gene expression. So I knew that we were but it was how and how much and, right. um, you know, it, and and how far reaching. I mean, that was my initial driving question. I guess, you know, concurrent to that, when we got funding, you know, Brent Act, the CEO at Metagenics funded our, gave us an unrestricted, uh, unrestricted grant. Cause we started to, I mean, as soon as, as soon as I designed the program, it was like, how can we research this? Well, we can't, you know, we can't, you, you, there's none of these tools to measure, you know, gene expression were not right. available in clinical practice at the time and they're barely available now. But you know, I wanted to see are we moving the needle at all? And so we were really puzzling over how we could do that. We could look at homocysteine, it's sort of a surrogate marker. Maybe they could use a you know few subjective questionnaires and blah blah but we already knew in clinical practice we were seeing really good outcome with the intervention that people who did it felt better and we saw right. their labs improve, et cetera, et cetera. But are we changing gene expression? <laughs> you know, that was the mother load and it wasn't available at the time. But you know, Brent Eck, amazing Human as he is, became was willing to to fund it, and I want to tell you why. You being a pediatrician, it was because of that Johns Hopkin Hopkins paper that came out showing increased risk of autism in. Um, when when moms moms had the highest I think blood levels of B12 and folate if I'm not mistaken right. do you remember that right. paper it was yeah. like 20 I think it was like 2015 16 I mean it was a show stopping right. paper and at the time Brent's wife was pregnant and he was you know riddled with anxiety around you know the using the B complex that you know her I mean we we prescribe you know, and as we should prescribe and I cover this in the book you know pretty healthy amounts of methyl donors to pregnant women and anyway. It, we had that conversation you know and around when he agreed to to fund this um right. because you know how are we influencing you know methylation right. and dna methylation big time and and he had a you know personal drive to start the the question and it almost didn't come to pass i mean it, you know i was challenged big time because there were there were no human studies of its kind out you know right. prior to to ours ours was the first the first one and 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 somebody challenged me. Well, there's no there's no human data out here, Kara. You know, you, this is only animal at best and mostly in vitro. <laughs> right. Thank God he just let he let us move forward with it, and we were able to hire at my alma mater, the Health Care Research Institute, to conduct our our you know randomized control trial. Extraordinarily enough, where we were able to map map you know measure the full methyl, methylome. Like we were able to measure you know almost a million of those red lollipops. Um, looking at our intervention. So I want to just say, so how did I get into longevity in Horvath's clock? So th- this is just the serendipitous, extraordinary thing. At the time of our study, when we were doing our IRB and our design, we had, you know, in our IRB, we included looking at the methylomas as something exploratory. So we were going to look at it broadly. Horvath himself said, you know, in that at that time, that we can't move the bio clock none of our interventions can change biological age you know just forget about it it's not changeable it was during our study our study was underway it was 2019 we finished at the end of 2019 that the first human evidence came out it was the trim trial with greg Fahey, um, that showed in fact you know they could slow the bio, bio clock they could reverse bio age it was the first study we were already underway so Horvath did not, we were, we wanted to look at it as an exploratory investigation, but I was not holding my breath that we would change it. I felt reasonably confident and perhaps it was just because the cocky, you know, like right. arrogant, I, I right. was like, I think we're probably going to change the methyl lab. you know, maybe we'll see some of these tumor suppressor genes re-expressed or maybe we'll see changes to, you know, in, you know you know, it's 23,000 genes. I think we're going to see that we shift it in our, in our, in our, in our study population as compared to controls. I felt reasonably confident in that, but I wasn't holding my breath that we would be able to change biological age. So that was this, that came out in 2019. And, you know, it made us a little bit excited, but the first study that came out, which by the way, stopped, you know, time stood still in the scientific community. When that freaking study came out, there was only nine men, there were no control groups, um, group. It was picked up by a top tier journal aging cell and it was picked up by nature it was like oh my god oh my god biological age reversal could be a real thing what i began to piece together and internalize on this journey was that cancer is sort of the aging is the biggest risk factor for all of the chronic diseases um really all of them you know we always say almost all but you know, what one is in it, even acute diseases, COVID, et cetera, influenza, et cetera. Aging is the biggest risk factor. Right. And when you look at gene expression, when you look at DNA methylation, when you look at the red lollipops, if you look at the red lollipops in someone who is aging, who's older, it, it Chris, it looks similar to someone who has cancer. It looks right. similar to someone who has cardiovascular disease, et cetera. So you see that aging itself, rearranges the methylome, rearranges where those lollipops are towards something that makes us incredibly vulnerable to all these chronic diseases. So my massive you know journey of Aha's was by sort of focusing initially on our initial question around cancer, you know, and beyond, but that was what what entered me into it. We were in fact looking at aging. We were in fact looking more broadly because that was the case. And so it made me excited for our early you know, for, to, to look at the, at the biological age clock. And that, in fact, was the first thing we did um, after our, our investigation, after we finished our investigation, we had our data. Um, you know, we used Horvath's calculator at UCLA and ran our data through and saw that we had significantly changed um, biological age in our, in our subject as, as compared to our control group. So they our, su- our study subjects within eight weeks time using a very simple diet and lifestyle intervention got three, over three years younger and the within-group comparison, they got two years younger than themselves at, at baseline at. The, so, so within eight weeks' time, we had wildly changed biological age. And right. it was um, needless to say, it was exciting. <laughs> we That's had cr- rearranged those where those red lollipops are.
0: It's incredibly fascinating to think in 20 years we go from the discovery that our genes are not hardwired, that we're not predestined to be our parents' amalgam of our split genes of our parents, to now knowing that not only do we have control to some extent, but it's actually something that we're learning how to control, right? Yes. So your study is showing us, hey, these are manipulative measures that are yes. not damaging. They follow Hippocrates. You know, the oath is do yes. no harm. They don't do any harm. I know, by the way, you can gain three years in eight weeks. I mean, you know, the question is how far can you go in a year? When does that? St- I mean, there's a lot more to be studied. Yeah. I know you're going to keep doing it, but let's talk specifically about your study now. So you had 20 people in each yep. arm and yeah, well, we all, had 18 all people
1: finished. Yeah. All men. And the reason, the reason, I mean, I, I, you know, I definitely heard from a lot of women, of course. Oh, you had a great um, reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we wanted. So we wanted to study. We wanted to look at when we know methylation genes. We wanted to look at the aging journey. We wanted to look. Methylation becomes disarrayed, disorganized. It starts breaking down and changing. And I want to say, actually, it, it does so not randomly, not stochastically, but in a kind of a predictable pattern, that increases these risks for diseases, and we wanted to look at one that's really kicking in, and that's middle age. And so our population was between 50 and, and 72. Um, and if we look at women in that time frame, of course they're going to be at you know we're going to be the gamut of premenopause, you know perimenopause and postmenopause, and right. that will influence the methylome profoundly. And it would make us require it would give it, it, it would mean that we would need bigger numbers to be able to kind of tease through it in a meaningful way um however we are about to study a to publish a case series of a small cohort of women who knocked it out of the park they did fabulously well reversing their bio age no great surprise there <laughs> right so, right so, that, so that'll come out
0: so now for the listeners what is the younger you project so what are the 20 men who are in the active arm going through yeah. over that eight weeks
1: Yep. So they're following a diet. As I said before, it's, it's, it's pretty Mediterranean leaning. Um, it's a very vegetable dense. So they're doing it about seven cups of veggies a day. A lot of those are green. Some of them are cruciferous, but we want lots of colorful veggies in there as well. All of those compounds are outrageous methylation um, traffic director. So there's, there, there's the, you know, folate, choline B12. We wanted people to be consuming beets. um, so very rich veggies, um, some fruit, ideally bear, you know, the darker, the better. Again, those, those incredibly important polyphenols. Um, let's see, we did, it was, it, we had them do animal protein. So this, we, there's a vegan version in the book, um, but our study population had to, were required to um, consume animal protein. So that was, um eggs, we wanted them to do a minimum of five to 10 eggs per week. Um, and, you know, just maybe, I don't know, about eight ounces or so of, of animal protein. Nuts and seeds were in, are included in the program as well. Liver happens to be a uh, methylation superstar. I mean, you can bang out. Liver is a multivitamin in a food matrix. I mean, it's just yeah. extraordinarily nutrient dense. As long as you can get, obviously get good quality stuff. Of yep. course, we're challenged that, you know, liver is the housekeeper of the body and indeed it is and it's also incredibly important and go to your point before we were synthesizing vitamins that's what people got they got like a liver injection you know, right. emulsified a right. liver it's inc- it's the most nutrient dense food in in the world uh so we wanted people to do liver and really you know i'll tell you what our population these guys were really into this they knew We were studying something that had never been studied before that we were looking at epigenetics and they were pretty jazzed up about it and so our adherence data are incredibly incredibly strong and something that i I hope that we publish on we also used our nutritionists i have a nutrition training program in my clinic and my nutritionists are well versed in our program and so they acted as coaches and there was a required weekly meeting with them the first month, and then you know thereafter as needed. And I think the 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 participants ended up meeting regularly with them. And I want to say that they were not allowed. Our nutritionists were not allowed to engage in the kind of coaching that we routinely do in functional medicine, where you really engage somebody and you're there with them emotionally and spiritually. They had to read a very dry IRB-approved script. I mean, it's really funny. Do you have any questions? Are you eating your liver? <laughs> <Did> you know stuff like. Anyway, it's just, it makes me crack up. But even with that, the contacts I think made our adherence data super strong. It's just so, and I felt like I was like, this is, I'm not going to be getting six figures handed to me as an unrestricted grant in my lifetime. I'm going to make this work if I have to, like, go to each participant's out. I wanted, I wanted it to, I wanted to, to 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 create you know, I wanted us to be able to successfully administer our program. And so having our nutritionists was essential. Um, We wanted them to hydrate well, drink adequate water, you know, you know, we had them, fats were not, this was not a low fat diet, they want, they consumed, you know, good quality olive oil, um, some coconut oil, avocado oil, etc. Classic, if you looked at the diet, it's fairly classic functional medicine. Um, The only difference is that we're really focused on turning up the nutrients that we know influence methylation, that there's some evidence in the literature on influencing methylation. Um, No grain, no dairy, no legumes. Not that they, you know, we have a a, what we call an everyday version that's a little bit easier to do, where we do include legumes. I'm not anti-beans at all. We just wanted to um, limit glycemic cycling as much as possible. We wanted to keep it lower carb. We wanted a little bit of ketones to be happening in the background, which I think we success, successfully achieved. Ketones are also epigenetic, um, influence epigenetics favorably. Um, so it's from higher fat, lower carb, we burn fat and the byproduct of that is, is, are, the, are these ketone bodies, which are you know just signal molecules in their own, in their own right. And potently anti-inflammatory signal molecules so we wanted a little bit of background ketones um, and we significantly dropped triglycerides in our study population which suggests to me that they were in a little bit of ketosis not aggressive it wasn't a ketogenic diet we had a modest intermittent fasting structure of 12 hours on and 12 hours off we wanted it broadly adoptable you know now I want to say you know, people we will we it would be good for us to look at you know more restrictive time uh eating windows, but for this study, we really wanted this intervention to be broadly adoptable. everybody to be able to do it. No, you know, no anxiety around limiting food um, or having it be calorically restricted. So that was the diet portion. Um, then we had them uh, engage in um, a basic breathing exercise twice daily to elicit the relaxation response. So a, a, a simple meditation practice. 10 minutes, minimum 10 to 20 minutes, twice a day. Um, and then we had them engage in an easy exercise of 30, a minimum of 30 minutes, five days a week um, with a perceived exertion of 60 to 80% of maximum. So not not intense, you know, again, it was relatively doable, uh, very, do- well, we wanted it to just be broadly doable, uh, adoptable. Um, and then we wanted folks to sleep well, uh, a minimum of seven hours and so the nutritionists one of the things they would do is if somebody was having trouble sleeping maybe brainstorm with them on you know just sleep hygiene tips getting to bed early etc you know limiting screen time the kinds of things we do in practice um with our patients always i think that's it right any did i miss anything in there
0: no i think that's the broad strokes of it i think you know i found yeah. two things really interesting one clearly choosing the men made sense because of the the hormonal differences in women and that the changes that are so much more variable between if they're in menopause not in menopause I mean you have so many variables there. I agree with that down the road do it
1: complexity the other thing <laughs>
0: that, yeah yeah well honestly you know if, if there's any one thing i find entirely daunting in functional medicine it's hormones and specifically estrogen and it's in myriad capabilities just madness but that being said you chose relatively healthy men which to purpose. some extent yeah to some extent you could say that was a harder group to choose because you yeah. may have had much harder a much harder time showing benefit as opposed to a yeah. group that was let's say more ill that'd be a better chance but I, you know could it could strike both ways but i thought that was sort of fascinating
1: isn't that interesting i know i mean when i i'm just like it's amazing i was determined to, i wanted to isolate looking at um Changes in the methylome that happen in healthy age, that happen with aging, not that happen in diabetes or cardiovascular disease, et cetera. I just, I wanted to isolate that. And so we had to look at a healthy population. I mean, a healthy population in research is basically, you know, individuals with an absence of a disease which is a different definition than what we use in functional medicine but they were still you know really healthy and right. part of it is self-selection you know not everybody is going to want to prescribe to a rig- rigorous diet and lifestyle intervention for eight weeks you know and so right. we we ended it took us a while to recruit we had to use a rolling recruitment structure you know we were going to health clubs the naturopathic medical clinics in, in Oregon. We, I mean, it, it just took us a while to find people. People were excited about it when they did commit, but it took us a while to find people who were really willing to tuck in and, and do it.
0: Yeah, so when I went on Amazon and I was looking at your reviews because I always check reviews because I think it's super fascinating to see how people review. You got tons and tons and tons of good reviews. So I jumped to the negative reviews just to see what comments were made. And the vast majority of the comments were what I would expect. You know, this is a very expensive diet. Uh, some people can't, you know, so all the complaints of I'm not willing to do this. Therefore, this is bunk. What you did again, I think is prove that it's doable, that it's yeah. up to everybody to choose their path. If you're going to yeah. do it, do you want to live younger, or do you want to, you know, drink tons of alcohol and, and, and dice with, you know, so to me I I enjoyed seeing those comments because they were comments that don't mean anything to me frankly because that's sort of the same idea as hey if you go out and exercise you know relatively well five days a week well I don't have access to a gym well come on stop it you go outside and walk you you know so a lot of this stuff I think falls on deaf ears so I was really I really enjoyed reading your commentary reviews that people gave you so the other question I want to spin well then wait let
1: me let me just answer that also one of our reviewers said to us that it was you know, that it was a program that would be broadly adaptable. And I, it just felt very good and something that's yeah. timely and important. When we look at you and I spent a bunch of time, you know, before we hit record on, you know, just the the meltdown of healthcare as we know it. And it's, right. you're talking specifically for through the lens of pediatrics and, you know, just the cost of healthcare and the fact that we're going to just sink our economy because of healthcare spend, et cetera, et cetera. And, you right. know, this is something that is, You know that's adoptable like you can get enough sleep you can go out for a walk etc and importantly we did not require our participants to eat organic we did not require them to spend top dollar on their foods and i'm really glad that we that we didn't make that essential um it would have been a profoundly in, in, in expensive study if we if we had because we would have had to supply the food then but it Again, it just it suggests that one could, in fact, do this, you right. know, on a limited budget.
0: Right, and and I think again to your point, that if the government ever—and <laughs> I use "ever" very carefully—wanted to save money in healthcare, this is the route: you pay for yeah. people to eat and live healthily; therefore, you don't have to pay on the back end of disease. I'll just tell you a short right. aside: you know, this new company I started you know we're we're looking at getting money from the state governments to help kids get better care at along and along the process you know you will be able to change their outputs by changing what's happening in the clinic space. They're under mental stress or something else. We can get and activate a change order in the clinic instead of waiting 30 days for whenever that is to happen. And oh, by the way, some of these companies are coming. Well, we don't want to give you as much because we need some of that money for the Medicaid patients that are very expensive. Oh, by the way, who are they? Well, they're sick older people. So we have a very backwards way of seeing things in the governmental side where it's, let's treat it when it's already broken. Yeah. instead of putting that money where it's fixable. So if the federal yeah. government said, hey, younger you is a it, is it potential to decrease your age by three and a half years. Well, if you can, you know what that means monetarily for disease, yeah. massive trillions yeah. of dollars, Trillion. right? So if somebody's ever right. interested in studying, you know, the financial impacts of your work, I think that would be an incredible study to yeah. look at because I think it would be yeah. huge dollars saved by yeah. doing exactly what you're talking about because you are- yeah biological age is that which is associated with disease not cro- well chronological age is yes too but biological age is the more important one associated with disease because if you're 62 with a biological age of a 75 year old that's going to be much yeah. more risk for cost than yeah. the 62 year old with a biological age of 62 does that make sense right.
1: or 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 bio age of 40 if they're if they're putting some attention into into yeah, how yeah, they yeah. live you know i yeah, think yeah. it's i think it's possible yeah it compl- Ex- it completely makes sense and you know sinclair and colleagues did do some crunching i actually got that paper in the in my book it it just came out when my book went to print or um what i think 38 trillion if we can um sort of improve health span by a a year you know it's like a 38 $38 trillion dollar savings and then if we could do it by 10 years it's about 380 trillion like it's kind of nuts, the potential cost savings to society.
0: Insane. Like yeah. It's like the entire I, I, mind blown. <laughs> no, it's like,
1: I know it is. I know.
0: <laughs> so l- let's shift gears here. Now let's talk about the, the pre-pregnancy pregnancy landscape, because that's what's near and dear to my yeah. heart. Because when, when a mother takes care of herself pre-conception during pregnancy, the downstream effects on the children are massive. So talk a little bit about that and I'll pull up the statistics you have in your book.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to just, out. I want to I want to say, um, <laughs> I just want to say like, cause I don't want to forget. It's, 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 it's very slightly tangential, but you know, exercise influence, influences our epigenome profoundly. Right. And we hand that information down from mom and dad. So we're, you know, you're leaning towards mom and, but no, dad is, Dad is right in there when you're looking right. at when you're looking at gene expression, when you're looking at epigenetics and specifically DNA methylation. You know, dad's right there. Um, right. His exercise, the information on his epigenome from his particular exercise habits and probably generations even before that. Um, that information will be handed down and that will influence disease risk in offspring, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, that six pack, that rock hard six pack abs. Um, It's amazing. It's just absolutely incredible. The information that we are able to hand down to our offspring. And I want to also jump over and say that exercise in the adult methylome in the aging methylome is profoundly impactful. In fact, one study demonstrates and argues that it's actually more impactful. So the older you are, the more exercise bang for your buck you actually get as far as gene expression goes. And we go back to those tumor suppressor genes and looking at cancer, we can really influence turning them back on. So they get hypermethylated as we age, we stop being able to protect ourselves profoundly from cancer, but exercise will turn them back on. Incidentally, all of those beautiful polyphenols, you know, and broccoli and cruciferous and colorful veggies and greens, et cetera, and mushrooms. I forgot to give mushrooms a shout out. All, right. They also turn them back on. So exercise is almost like a, it's like a, a veggie superfood, but right. circling. Yeah.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot because I think this is an interesting question to ask. So I spent the vast majority of my years, probably unduly influenced by my wife, because she is a nutritionist, that I thought historically that food was probably the number one input for all cause health, epigenetically living day to day. I have a partner who's 83, who's a brilliant pediatrician, one of my favorite mentors. He has since then convinced me that he thinks, and I'm not far behind now, if not in agreement with him, that mental health is actually more important even than the nutritional health. Then you throw in Peter Atiyah, who is a massive proponent of exercise being primary to almost all outcome and health. And there is some data there clearly with falls and things that is definitely a way to leave the world early, which unfortunately is one of the reasons my father left this world last April. So Uh, what do you say in those three? Maybe you're just gonna say, you know, screw it, they're all the same
1: no actually i'm not and i think it's awesome that you asked me this question i love tussling with this question so for sure my training like your wife would was on the power of foods you know and those micronutrient inputs the insane complexity of a well does a bite of a well designed salad like you know it, it's just incredibly complex the kind of information the good information that we're feeding our body in you know, in a well designed salad. And we're doing that multiple times per day. And it's mind blowing the extraordinary and synergistic, impactful um, pleiotrophic information in food. So I think, I do think there's a point to make that it could be number one. But, you know, as I pointed out in the book, going back to the Horvath clock, 25% of that clock is regulated by what they call glucocorticoid response elements. So basically, these are genes that. These are response elements on genes that are influenced by glucocorticoids, by stress, by cortisol, 25%. There's no other, there's nothing else that is as influential on that particular clock as, as, as stress. And so I, I mean, that, that really stopped me in my tracks. I think, I, I, I think that I, I think that I'm, 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 I'm really open to what your colleague says as being, as being very truthful. Yeah. Yes. As being possibly, because you think about it, even if you're eating this incredibly perfect food, if you're ingesting it into this, you know, wired and stressed out and cortisol driven sympathetic overdrive, you know, freaked out body, it's not going to use the food in the same way no. as if you have some, if you, as if you've been able to move into Uh, you know, a more parasympathetic place where you can receive the nutrition and sort of allow it to bathe over your epigenome. And I mean, that's, those are two very different, different milieus in which you're inviting the information of food or in which you're inviting the information of exercise or, you know, of sleep, you know? So, I mean, I think he's, I think your, I think your colleague is, you know, is onto something.
0: Yeah. Which again, in our world, Adverse childhood events in the past two yes. decades has sort of showed up as the major player in all cause, you know, problems in children from, yes. a, from a health perspective. So, you know, that well and that, in
1: epigenetics for sure. Right.
0: Right. And clearly this is a this is a big one. I mean, you know, that's that, a lot of that was Moshe Schiff's work on yeah. looking at nature versus nurture. And I that when that data came out, I was pretty blown away at how fascinating that reality is. That that nurture is a big, big piece of this pie. So yeah, to your point, mm. I think that's probably probably uh, uh, the epigenetic 25% number is, is really points to the, that's probably the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you start, you start to see these statistics and it it makes it very difficult to look in any other direction other than that, which is smacking you in the face. I mean, clearly all of them are important, but I would tend to agree that that's a, that leans the scale. If you have a lot of love
1: and you're well-connected and you know, you feel good and 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 you know, you are confident. You have all that juiciness. You can probably survive some Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Amen, amen to that. The 90, the ninety ten rule comes to full existence. I, I love it. You so
1: have me, but yeah. No, no, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's okay. So, so let's finish with the with the grow baby work. Tell me a little bit mm-hmm. about that, and then we'll look at the stats.
1: So, yeah. So, grow baby. I I always love to give them a, a shout out. This is um the work of leslie stone and 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 her daughter Emily Ridbone. And they are out in Ashland, Oregon. And um Michael Stone is a physician is Leslie's husband, um IFM faculty. and I think he he works with them, but really the Leslie and Emily are doing the heavy lifting there. And um they've designed a uh, program for, you know, pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, postpartum, um, nutrition and they are they they inc- they incorporate our program into um, their grow baby plan. Um, and they've tracked, you know, Leslie is an OBGYN and and Lemily is the nutritionist and and they track um, birth outcomes. I think they published on a cohort of 200 birth outcomes and you have the statistics there. So let me just let me back up for just a nanosecond and say. You know, embryogenesis early, you know, first tri- trimester changes are massively epigenetically active. Just massively, um, you know, probably well, they are. It's just the most intense time of information of, of 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 genetic traffic being directed. Methylation, demethylation is happening. We're scrubbing. We're scrubbing the information from mom and dad's. Uh, genome and creating information anew in um, in the fetus. It's extraordinary, and we want to have an exquisite collection of nutrients to be able to drive that. We want to have an absence as much as possible of toxins, and we want to have a nurturing environment. You know, as as much as we possibly can. Understanding, you know, we're just we, we're doing the best we can on this journey. It's incredibly active, and so you know these. Um, Emily and and, and Leslie just have just have just designed a, a a full functioning program around thinking about optimizing methylation as a cornerstone piece. It's not the only piece, but it's a cornerstone. And they so they have a diet and lifestyle intervention, plus they they designed a multivitamin and I actually list the nutrients and their multi- multivitamin in the book as well. Um and their birth outcomes. Yeah, so you have the page up and you can see their birth outcomes as compared to the U.S. as a whole, and they're pretty extraordinary if you want to just share some of them.
0: Yeah, so quite incredible. 410 women were used in the study with babies born to them. Preterm birth, 0% in the grow baby group, 11.5% in the U.S. national data. Small for gestational age, 1.5% grow baby, 11.5% in the U.S. Gestational diabetes, 0.2%. U.S. nine point two percent pregnancy induced hypertension zero point seven percent, and then you had six point seven percent, and then later on it says here there was zero incidence of autism, immunity changes including atopic dermatitis and asthma in this study, which is remarkable. Isn't
1: that incredible? Beyond, <laughs> I mean, incredible. Just, it's it is it's just extraordinary. And so the cool thing that they're doing, not dissimilar to you, actually, you probably work with them in North Carolina, is that they're getting this. They're getting Medicare coverage for this, and they're bringing their program into hospitals um, in other in other parts of the country. So outside of, I think they're doing work already in Oregon and maybe Washington, and I think that they were working with a hospital, if I'm not mistaken, in Mississippi. It'd be nice to, to 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 check in with them and get an update right. on what they're doing because they're really they're taking this information and they're just moving it into the world. I mean, those are extraordinary outcomes, and that is those are that's that is published. The citation is in the book.
0: I love it. And I think, you know, the number one thing we can do for young girls and women in order to have the best outcome is make sure education is top priority because I think education is the first thing that leads downstream to best choices being made. So all of it's connected, but I, I love their work. I love your work. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful time of life. You know, As we talked offline, how bad medicine is right now from a business perspective, from a Hospital insurance perspective. It's probably the prime of my life as far as scientific research. What's coming out, what we're learning, and your work is 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 seminal to stuff that's going to be moving forward for what we as a society should be looking towards in order to change outcome in our human health. And and frankly, like you said, just as a as a governmental body, the trillions of dollars to be saved by a younger you protocol being Uh given options to people. this is the fact that this is not our our baseline understanding is just madness. Sort of like COVID. You know, I was talking to David Katz, and he he used he used the word "Where is the outrage?" Right? He's like, we should be outraged by COVID. Right? Here we are. We have this pandemic. It's clear to all of us within three months of COVID epidemic that the number one risk factor for dropping dead is lifestyle choices, especially food. Right? Yeah. And Nobody's talking about it in the media. Yeah. Nobody's talking about it in the government. the u k. Yeah. tried to discuss obesity and got hammered. Yeah. Madness, right? Yeah. So kudos to you for for jumping into these waters and putting yourself out there in the environment of <laughs> science right now, which at sometimes is a bit messed up as well. and yeah. And then coming up with some data that's that's lovely. Um, <laughs> just super, super you know exciting to watch where it's going so any new i think you said you had some new data to to that's coming yeah. online?
1: well we did, i mean we do we're going to publish a little case series on six women who did a fabulous job reversing their bio age following the program so doing this you know the same things we looked at in our study I, I, we actually it was through an app. It was self-administered. They did have access to it. Our- so basically the same thing we are. The next piece we're working on is what we call an EWAS investigation or an epigenome wide association study. So we're looking at our original pilot cohort and um, beyond. So my original question was, are we just changing methylation? Are we changing it favorably? And that's an EWAS investigation. And we massively changed gene expression. So beyond the 353 sites we looked at in the Horvath clock, we changed gene expression significantly, I think at 8,000 genes. And so our next question is to just do a drill down into that. Um, I, I can tell you now rough data suggested, um, yes, we changed gene expression in some tumor suppressor genes, which was sort of my original one of my original um, questions that I wanted to answer. Um, but we've got a um, bioinformatician bio-inf- out of Stanford who's who's working with me on that, because that's outside of my technical expertise. But I'll be exploring the biology of it and re- writing. I'll be working on the discussion section and that kind of thing. But it's, it's just very exciting to see how profoundly this diet and lifestyle intervention, <laughs> this very basic intervention, influence gene expression as compared to controls far far beyond just by you know influence biological age I mean that's amazing and and exciting and impressive but we it, it just a whole lot more was happening so yeah. I look forward to publishing on that and then we're looking at the pace of aging now which is beyond a, a bio a biological age number you can actually measure the rate of your of how fast your body is aging like you know moment by moment and so we're looking at that um We'll continue to research it. If people uh, are interested, they should sign up for our newsletter. At um, they could go to youngeryouprogram.com or Kara Any any place they can just get on our newsletter. We'll keep people informed if they, you know, want to um, you know jump in and 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 do this with us. We have right. an IRB that will you know we'll have rollings, but yeah, I'm I'm committed to continuing to to research these these questions
0: and I'm sure. committed to watching you do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks. And you're doing
0: phenomenal work and you know the your book Younger You published last January super super awesome folks. I hope highly expect everyone to go out Pull one off the shelf and give it a read. I know you're on Twitter at, at @k_fitzgerald_nd and as a Nancy D. And then I know you have Instagram at Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. You're out there. You're putting it in the world, and uh, God, that's a it's a beautiful thing to see you putting this out into cyberspace and into your local people and to book. Work. I mean, just great stuff. Any last words? Any um, just statements that you want to put out into the world?
1: Well, I'm I'm very appreciative, Chris. Thanks for your interest in this work. It's just so exciting to share it with my colleagues and have, you know, and have you be light, lit up and, and so supportive of it. It just really, you know, kind of makes me, it makes me so happy. We're going to, I'm, you know, I'm just grateful to be in this unexpected, you know, conversation and to, you know, it really kind of validates, I think the power of functional medicine. So.
0: I think yeah. it absolutely validates the power of functional medicine. And to <laughs> me, you know, being the allopath who jumped into the integrative medicine world with Andy Weil and then flipped over into your world, the biochemistry now is one of my greatest passions where I used to hate biochemistry because it because it wasn't taught well. And you guys yeah. teach it in a way that makes it completely functionally fundamental to everything we're doing. And I spent a good it's bit empowering. of time- with, Oh, it's so empowering. And then I went a deep yeah. dive with Sam Yannick into the immunology world. I know you've done some work <laughs> with him. You wrote a great yeah. paper with him on covid That's probably the biggest onion peel of my life. Um, The only thing I think that could hurt me more than immunology is the the world of estrogen, but I may someday (laughs) head down that world. But whatever it is, you know, it's super, super cool. And you're, you're amazing at what you do. And I'm just grateful you're doing what you do. So from here on the East Coast to you on the Western side of the country, thank you.
1: All right. Ciao, ciao, Chris.
0: Bye. What an amazing conversation with a provider of care that is actively engaged in the clinical research that many of us have been looking for for quite a long time, trying to understand what happens to the human body biologically as we learn to manipulate our ability epigenetically to change upstream targets of aging. This has been something that's been thought about for quite a while since Randy Jurdle published his first seminal paper on the agouti mouse. And now we have Dr. Fitzgerald doing the work, showing us that lifestyle interventions can have a profound effect on humans moving forward if we choose the path that goes along completely with our best genetic Health. Do we consume the synergistic food types that promote methylation in a way that is safe? Ooh, the supplement question remains in doubt, right? But food is clear. Food is the way we've always been doing it. And historically, that's the way our ancestors were exposed to methyl donors. And so for me, that's the obvious answer. How do we get enough of the food types that support our epigenome in a way that is promoting of our biologic aging in a slower fashion. Chronologic age can't be stopped, but biologic age could be slowed down. Are we adding in these methyl donors, liver, beets, brassica vegetables, greens in high volume, right? All the while avoiding the toxins, alcohol, right? In high volume, sedentary behavior, toxin exposure from the environment, anything that potentially is hypomethylating. Randy Jurdle's initial studies with Dana Dolanoy showed that BPA, bisphenol A, a plasticizer used in making harder plastics is causing the antithesis effect of what we want biologically, right? There's BPA removed now products, but oh, by the way, they just changed them for BPB or BPD or BPF, right? It's sort of a ridiculous reality, but going to websites like www www.ewg.org is a possibility of a search engine of chemical exposure to humans, right? The precautionary principle in Europe is in play. The companies have to prove it's safe before they can release it. In our country, it's the opposite. It's our problem to prove it's dangerous. It's a very hard sell. So to me, it makes more sense just to avoid toxins in all their forms. And I think it's very clear through Dr. Fitzgerald's work that this is the route for a reduction of biologic aging over time, giving yourself the best chance of long-term survival. And as we talked about, making sure that you're working on your own internal mental health, right? As a way to stem the tide of stress-induced damage. If 25 or 30% of your DNA is going to be epigenetically dysfunctional because of stress, that's a problem. So I think that this is a seminal beginning piece Of our future understanding of our ability to maintain biologic aging at a proficient level of health solvency. So for me, highly encourage everyone to go out, buy a younger you, give it a read, understand the principles behind the why this is important, and then start making decisions that lead you to a possibility of becoming a younger you. And for that, I think you have the opportunity then to become the best version of yourself biologically. And then you lead by example for your children. And I also think there's gonna be a lot more to be said about the pre-pregnancy state and the pregnancy state. I look forward to interviewing Dr. Stone and her work. I look forward to looking deeper into this reality for everybody. But with that being said, this was a long interview, so I'm gonna let it end here. I wanna, again, thank you all for taking the time to listen taking the time to put your best self forward in your ability to change what you can change and mitigate risk where it is and just live the best life and the best way you can. As always, hug those kids. And, you know, if you like this interview, one, share it with friends so they can learn. Two, you know, reach out and give it a review on Apple Podcasts. Again, that's a way of helping me understand if I'm on the right track with guests that are being chosen, topics that are being chosen, and just, you know, how much you all enjoy the process. So, have a great day. As always, the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This podcast does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship. Be well.